electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The hunt for new highs as stocks make it through May. Now sit on the doorstep of new records. Are we about to make that next move higher? We debate that with the investment committee today. Joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, the principal of Odyssey Capital Advisors, John Najeri, and Josh Brown along today as well. It's good to see everybody on this Friday. Take a look at the markets here. Do have the Dow has been up five of the past six, S&P three of the past four. So we got a little bit something going here. Ten-year note yield at 159. Josh, I said it. We made it through May. So much for the sell in May and go away because the S&P was up 0.8%. And we're not that far away from new record highs. The S&P 500 is a half a percent away. And you got a lot of things lining up. COVID stuff's really good. Interest rates aren't running away from us. Earnings expectations are only improving. And there is so much pent-up demand like you wouldn't believe. And I know you know that story, too. So are we about to take that next leg higher? I think so. And it's going to be led by a fairly diverse uh, cross-section of industry groups and sectors. And I like that action. This is not going to be the FANG stocks and then everything else trailing behind, which is what we had seen at previous highs that ended up not being very sustainable. I think this is a very different picture. I'm sure Stephanie would agree. Look at what's working right now. Um, I'm looking right now at, at financials. The XLF has spent the last few weeks hanging near highs, stopped making forward progress, but gave absolutely nothing back. No sellers, especially in the big ones like JP Morgan, which, full disclosure, I am long and have been long for a while. That's a super bullish setup for next week. You can't say it isn't. And when financials are doing well, historically, Stock markets do well, especially when they're at, at record highs. You look at REITs right now, about to make another all-time high. Unbelievable. The last one I wanted to throw out, which we don't really talk about that much um, on, on the air, and I understand why, um, but the all-country world index XUS. Let's pull this ETF up. It's ACWX. This is the entire global stock market with no U.S. stocks in it, right? Um, not only are we approaching an all-time high right now, but actually, over the last 12 months, this index has outperformed the S&P 500, which I don't think a lot of people are even aware of. But go down the list and look at these huge stock markets overseas, in Europe, in Japan. They're actually having the same reflationary trends that we are coming out of this pandemic. And when the whole world seems to want to break out, it's really hard to stay bearish or, or to stay um, pessimistic. So I think that's that's the way I'm looking at the current environment. All right. I mean, Steph, it, it does feel, to Josh's point, that risk on sentiment has returned. 
even in small increments. That's what Mike Santoli has been looking at. And we talked to him earlier this week on this program. Do you agree with Josh and that overall sentiment? You can look at small caps been up five of last, the last six days as well. The big fang stocks have finally started moving again. There are a lot of things that are starting to work again. Yeah, I mean, this has been the year of rotation, right? I mean, value has outperformed growth um, by a big margin year to date. But in the last two weeks, Scott, I think it's been interesting to see growth make a comeback. And I think the reason is because some people are fearing that we're seeing peak economic growth and that there's no inflation whatsoever. And in that scenario, growth would do better than value. I don't subscribe to that. I think given all this stimulus that has been put in place for the last 14 months and more to come, by the way, is going to lead to strong growth. Maybe not as strong as first and second quarter that we've been, that we expect, but it's going to stay above trend. Um, and I think, look, I cite PMIs and ISMs all the time. How about that Chicago PMI number, best number in 37 years? It beat the street by eight points. I mean, that is just astounding to me. And then you got the Richmond Fed earlier this week talking about cap spending up, CapEx spending um, up about 42 percent. So if you get a CapEx cycle on top of the momentum we're seeing in manufacturing, that is a good sign. And then we are still seeing good trends in the consumer. Yesterday's GDP number, you had a revision on the personal consumption. So my point is growth is still there. It's going to stay strong. I do think there's also some inflation in the systems that that is real. Wages are real and they're going up. People can't find people to work and they're paying up for those people of what they can find. So if you have a bit of better growth, a little bit better on uh, inflation, that is a recipe for owning more cyclicals, more value centric companies. Um, and you want to have a barbell, though, too. You do want to have a little bit of diversification and secular growth. So I, I'm still sticking with my strategy. All right. Hey, how about this for a statement? Jason Snipe buying more Twilio and Shopify. I mean, if that doesn't say something, I don't know what does. You tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, Scott. So for me, I mean, you know, our playbook hasn't changed for the most part. I mean, it's, it's obviously been a cyclical and value play since the beginning of January. But, you know, we have begun to start to nibble at some of these high beta, you know, high multiple stocks. Twilio it's just got a great secular story, you know, just a seamless way of their they're able to communicate with their customers, Shopify. I mean, just the support uh, that they have around, you know, small businesses and medium-sized businesses. You know, obviously these are very expensive stocks. You know, with, for example, Shopify trading at trading at 94 times, 46 times sales. But I just I think there's opportunities here, and, and there might be some short-term pain. You know, as as Steph kind of described the macro backdrop, but I think there's opportunity here in the long term. And that's why we started to nibble more. I'm just saying, if you thought the market was about to fall out of bed, you're not buying more Twilio, you're not buying more Shopify. I mean, <laughs> and if, if you thought rates were going to run away from us, you're not buying more Twilio and you're not buying more Shopify. You got it. You got it 100 percent. Even even when I think about talking about talking about tapering, <laughs> you know, we're starting to <laughs> take the training wheels off you know, because the market is, I mean, the economy is really strengthening. This is positive news. This is good for the economy. So for me, you know, we, we decided to take an opportunity and, and start to look at some of the high beta names that have gotten beaten up Doc, some over the last couple quarters. Forgive, forgive me, um, Jason. Doc, um, look, you, you've been more cautious, I think, than most for the last, you know, couple handfuls mm -hmm. of weeks, right? What do you make of it now? You feel yep. like we're, we're sort of getting out of this funk, if you want to call it that, that we've We've been muddling around in and, and we're about to have a little June boom. 
No, I don't. <laughs> um, and why so not? So I'm going to push back why? against. Yeah, do it. Push okay. back. Okay. Well, highest highest PCE in two decades, Scott. Uh, and you couple that with gasoline prices, the highest since 2014, and crude oil has doubled in the past year. Um, so that doesn't mean that I'm not bullish and that we can't go higher. It means that I still think, Scott, that we're going to see us muddle through to the end of the second quarter. Now, that's a full month out into the future. So if you're looking for a June boom here, Scott, um, you know, let's see how people react to, again, those highest uh, gasoline prices since 2014 as they 37 million people travel this weekend or whatever the numbers are as projected. Um, I think people do want to get out. I know that they're packed on planes that I'm on and so forth because I traveled three times this week and the planes were jammed. Um, however, I think, Scott, that a lot of what is happening right now is going to moderate behavior. I think the fact that people um, are spending so much more at the pump is going to moderate some of that behavior. And I think overall, personal uh, consumption and expenditure, um, these numbers are running really hot. Um, so we're going to hear a lot of pushback about that from just as we did this week, for instance, uh, with the testimony, Jamie Dimon, seven and a half hours uh, before those committees and so forth. There'll be a lot of chatter. That doesn't mean that anything happens from it, Scott, but it'll distract people, put their focus on that as to whether or not when they reopen and when the uh, people owe back uh, rent and all that kind of things, those are things that I think can moderate some of that jump condition that we might otherwise see. Okay, okay. Let's bring in our headliner then, Doc, with a bit of a reality check, I, I suppose. Brian Belsky, he's the chief investment strategist at BMO. He joins us live from Minneapolis today. It's good to see you. I don't see inflation worries on your list. I mean, I'm looking at my sheet in front of me here. I don't even see the word inflation anywhere. Another note, I don't see anybody worried about it. You're not worried about that at all? Dr. J said we need to be worried about that. You're all bulled up again. I'm worried. I'm worried that I agree with everybody on the panel, even Dr. Even Dr. J. Maybe because he's my Minnesota brother. But I, w I would say I would say this. Um, you know, if you take a look at the majority of my competitors on Wall Street, they try to be the smartest person in the room. I don't think you have to be the smartest person in the room. You just need to make people money. And the smartest person in the room is the Fed. If the Fed is saying that we're transitory, I'm going to believe that we're transitory, Scott. And if you take a look at gross margins and, and inflation levels uh, 12 months forward from some sort of a peak in gross margins, which we talked about last week in a report, stock market's up 12 percent. Uh, you know, the, the piece that we put out yesterday when we talk about peak earnings, Everybody's worried about peak earnings. I think calling peak anything is always a failure. Uh, it doesn't usually work. And so I actually think numbers are still too low. And our $190 number that we just put out two weeks ago as we revised our number it actually might be too low. So I think analysts are too, too negative, uh, too pessimistic. I think earnings are going higher. The bottom line on this is this is that we've been in a momentum market for all of 2019, 2020, and, and most of 2021. We're in the early stages of transitioning to an earnings-driven, fundamentally biased market. That means more diverse performance. That means a broadening out. That means stock picking. That means all caps, small, mid, and large working together. And oh, by the way, it also means what Stephanie said with respect to having a, a barbell, having equal parts growth and value. We're moving into a growth at a reasonable price type market where 
stock picking and fundamental matter most. Okay, I mean, despite the fact that you took a shot at all the other strategists on Wall Street, which is exactly what you did, you have a year-end target. You, you know you did that, too. 4,500 year-end target on the S&P. Um, you just think it's absurd that this as good as it gets conversation seems to be holding back stocks. I mean, we're not going to do 10% GDP from here to eternity, Brian Belsky. No, we're not. And if, uh, if you take a look at our number, uh, that's where I, I do agree with Dr. Nigerian that the second half is going to be a little bit tougher than the first half. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, uh, and sometimes you have to be humbled in this business, and I hope I'm humbled that I'm wrong and markets just continue to rally. How but can you be humble be if you just, threw the, you just threw tomatoes at all of your fellow strategists for being too negative? <laughs> Well, I didn't throw tomatoes at everybody. I just think the majority of the investment strategy community and economists are too stuck in the weeds in, in terms of academics. They've been schooled in negativity the last 10 years. Most of them have not been senior people for 10 years. Uh, and you have to kind of go back into the 80s and 90s to see the type of environment that we're going into. It's old-time hockey. I mean, the Wild are playing Game 7 of the playoffs tonight. It's hockey playoff season. It's time to pass the puck and shoot the puck. And we have to, we have to remember how to build portfolios. Remember, I'm not just a strategist that covers Canada and the United States. I run real live money portfolios. And what's interesting of the nine portfolios of real live money that we run, dividend growth is the best performing. It's actually performing better than small cap indices. And our benchmark's the S&P 500. So listen, this is about stock picking. It's about buying and building active portfolios. Okay. And I think a lot of the investment community does not do that. Okay. All right. Mr. Portfolio Manager, then I'm going to refer to you in a different way from now forward. What is your highest conviction move right now today in the market? Financials, financials, financials. I still believe that they're massively underowned. I believe that that we're going to have that's going to take over the, a lot of the value performance, Scott. We had this big move in energy. I think the junk energy stock move is over. I think financials are going to be the place to be from the value trade. I do believe too that the three buckets of technology, uh, meaning more consumer staples tech, cyclical tech, and this meme tech, high beta tech. I think we're going to go back to the consumer staples tech where it's going to be more about quality of earnings, quality of cash flow. So that does favor Apple and Microsoft, but it also favors the more cyclical areas of tech like Salesforce, Adobe, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard. I think those are going to be the areas to be in. And quite frankly, I think most investors around the world sold those positions way too early. Okay. Let me get the committee in. And because you hit financials, 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 the way you did, Josh Brown, you get the first crack at Belsky because that's exactly where you're looking to. Hi, Mr. Belsky. Good to see you. Um, a philosophical question, if I may. If Dr. J is right that inflation is running so hot that it's going to start forcing people to modify their behavior, um, no sign of that yet, but I suppose it's possible, doesn't that take care of the inflation problem in and of itself? And as part of that, if we think that a lot of the, the source of inflation is coming from the stock market, uh, in the form of the wealth effect, which I think is undeniable at this point, you had a 75 percent one-year return in the S&P, unheard of since 1950, and everyone's in the market again. So if we think a lot of that wealth effect and a lot of people's proclivity to spend is coming from that, if in fact we get a pause in the market because people are worried about tapering or inflation, doesn't that solve the problem? Like, are, are we overthinking this too much? 
Yeah, in reverse order because I'm Polish. Uh, yes, we are overthinking this too much. With respect to uh, Dr. J Dr. Nigerian's comments, I don't think we're overheating. If you go back to the C uh, PCE number from 1983, you have to have some historical perspective of this. This was a year following one of the greatest uh, periods in American history in terms of governments and, and the Fed working together with President Reagan, Volcker, and Tip O'Neill all getting together and saying, we need to cut taxes and cut interest rates. And that's what got the big bull market going that many of us learn the business through. But I, I think this, that the, the higher age, the higher wage earners are going to continue to pay, spend money. The higher wage earners are going to continue to travel. I've been on four airplanes the last three weeks, too. And, and think about it is packed. People are want to get out there and live again. And what we've seen through, through the earnings period, what's really important on the consumer side, consumer discretionary has underperformed pretty dramatically this month, mostly because of Tesla. But I think there's a real opportunity there as we continue to go out and go to restaurants and start to live and spend money again. But what's key to the consumer discretionary side of things, in terms of the of cost being passed aside, Costco, Walmart, Target doing a wonderful job, but they have not been rewarded on the earnings side like the rest of the market. I think those high quality earning uh, retailers are going to be the, also a really great place to be the second half of the year. Stephanie Link, um, we're watching the markets move to the highs of the day. The financials are on the move. As we're having this conversation, what do you think about Mr. Belsky's commentary here? It's my largest overweight behind, uh, was second behind uh, industrials being overweight. I think that they are cheap, and I think you're going to see better capital returns as well. I own Wells Fargo. It's a restructuring story. You guys know that. Bank of America is a rates call. Morgan Stanley is M&A and diversification. Prudential is a restructuring story and super cheap. And American Express, if the planes are all packed, guess what? T&E is coming back, and that stock is actually lagged. So I totally agree. Brian, just explain where, where do you think rates are going in the uh, medium to longer term? Well, that's the that's the million dollar question, Stephanie. I mean, I think back when that's you go why back you get to paid February, the big bucks, Belsky. That's why you get paid the big bucks. That. What's your guess? I'm all about that, Scott. We shall see. I don't think we're at two percent. I don't think so by the end of the year. I don't think so. Everybody thinks that, and I'm going to go the other way. You think about how the marginal buyer of bonds have come in when we get into this kind of 165, 170 area. I bet it's going to happen again because the U.S. dollar remains the world's reserve currency. Our treasuries remain the world's reserve uh, bond market. I don't think rates are going to go as higher as everybody thinks. Okay. Uh, Jason Snipe, you have something for Belsky? So... Great commentary, but my, my, my initial question would be, what do you think is the next catalyst to move the market higher from here? You know, given the macro backdrop, given what we've seen throughout the year, what do you think is the next leg or next catalyst to move us from here? That's a fair question, Brian, right? Because earnings, the, the last big boat of, of earnings that came into port didn't really drive stocks very much. What is going to be the next catalyst? Uh, great question and great um, sub sub comment too there, Scott. It, the the first part of earnings actually did catapult stocks high, but as I said, the earnings uh, on the consumer side did, really didn't. And Jason, I think you know, in terms of the names that you're looking at with respect to Shopify, is a name that we own in a couple of portfolios. Just a wonderful concept in terms of theme. You want to pick more those types of areas, but I, I do think earnings, the second half of the year, could be a catalyst for areas that people aren't expecting earnings to be as well. Now, remember, typically and historically, technology does not do very well in the third and fourth quarter in terms of their earnings. I think you could see a surprise there that could actually help 
catapult the, the, the market higher. So too, consumer, I'm sorry, communication services. So I think there's pockets on the market, but I just go back to financials again. I think they, they have under-earned, uh, they're massively undervalued, and I still think from the dividend growth and buyback perspective, these stocks are excessively attractive and I think are just starting the renewed bull market. Doc, um, if, if inflation is such a big concern, why is the 10-year not running away from us anymore? Why are we at 159 on the 10-year? On the Regardless of where you think it should be, I'm talking to you about where it actually is. You've had a lot of commodity prices like lumber and things like that come down. Maybe inflation just got mm-hmm. everybody all hot and bothered and it's not going to be that big of a problem. Even in a week where you had Fed speakers on this very network say we're, we have started talking about talking about talking about tapering and rates really didn't do anything. Yeah, uh, I can't. That is, you know, the uh, the, the question of the hour, Scott. Um, as to why the rates are here. I'm very happy that the rates are here, as we talked about in March on that run-up from January to March. That was, you know, uh, a a real uh, tester for anybody that was in the markets, and those of us that stayed in uh, enjoyed the run, obviously. Um, But I'm going to push back just a little bit, Josh, on the 75% wealth effect. You are correct that from the bottom, so those that bought it on the bottom of March of last year, 2020, yes, up 75%. But from the middle of February last year, we're up 24%. That's a far different wealth effect, Josh, as far as people spending uh, than if we assume that people were to have bought on the bottom. And anybody that did buy at the bottom, um, I applaud you, congratulations. But most people may have added if they had the guts down there at the bottom and a lot of people obviously sold on the way down so i don't think the wealth effect is nearly as much as you're saying josh i think it's much smaller and i think that for that reason as we see some of the stimulus run out um, then we'll really know how much inflation is in the system um, because right now obviously it's sugar induced high like when we get tax cuts Josh, on the 20 percent of Americans that own 80 percent of the stock market have household net mm-hmm. worths at all time record highs, regardless of where we start mm-hmm. measuring the rally from. It is undeniable that 401k right. balances have never been higher. Real estate values have never been higher. Small business valuations have never been higher. And pent up demand has never been higher. On top Pent-up of that, demand has never been 10 higher. million. And quite frankly, you have 10 million new investors open an account to start investing in stocks for the first time in the in the nine months following the pandemic last year. That has never happened in right. American history. A wave of 10 million I people agree. start investing all in one. So I think, if anything, the wealth effect is probably more pronounced than what it was in 1999, the last time I can remember an environment like this. And I don't mean to suggest that that will continue forever, and that won't produce excesses. But I just feel like it's too early to say that because gas prices are, are, are much higher, all of a sudden people are going to feel less wealthy. I would also point out a lot of the oh, people not just gas using prices, higher though. gas prices as a catalyst. Well, it's a big gas mm-hmm. is a big a big factor in people's monthly budgets. A lot of the people pointing at yep. higher gas prices as the thing that's going to spook the markets are the same people who said when gas prices got cut in half, 
that that was also going to be bad for the market. So which is it? You want low or high, right? So I, I, I agree with you that there are inflationary <laughs> concerns. I don't think they rise to the level of this is, this is going to be the thing that kills the market, not just yet. So on that note. No, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's going to kill the market, by the way, Scott and Josh. Uh, real quick, I'm just saying that when you have housing and lumber and food and uh, gasoline and travel prices all moving in one direction, and that's higher from the lower left to the upper right, um, that's something that the market's going to have to deal with. And that's why the Fed's lumber talking, about, a talking month ago. about talking. Lumber they price, peaked, but they're still, you know how much higher they are than the same time last year, Travel Scott? prices will moderate. Mm -hmm. Travel, travel prices will moderate as, as the airlines bring more planes online. They can't snap a finger and do it overnight. Same thing with hotel uh, occupancy. They that don't want to snap a finger and do it overnight. We are not going to grow. They want to get more. We are not going to. Okay. But I, my point is we are not going to see that be able to persist because whenever you have this much demand, eventually supply will catch up to it. This isn't the 1970s where the, sh the sheiks were holding a gun to our head with oil. This is not that type of inflation. And quite frankly, by the way, with, with the level of incomes rising, especially at the lower end of the distribution, with minimum wage going up in 23 states, it's the good kind of, of, of wage pressure. We need people to spend more money if we're going to have a full-blown recovery. So I, I don't see it as negatively as you do, but I do agree with you. We have to keep an eye on it. Okay, last word goes to Brian Belsky. Let's be investors. Let's believe in stocks. Let's be portfolio managers that have active portfolios. Let's be broadly distributed across sectors. Uh, and let's still focus on the best franchises and the best growth opportunities, which I still think are here in the United States. Brian Belsky. BMO, Chief Investment Strategist, Chief Portfolio Manager, Chief Market Talker, Chief Optimist. Have a good weekend. Love the conversation always. Thank you. All right. Take care. Meme Stock Mania, it is back in a big way. We'll find out what Dr. J is seeing that most people are not and how he's playing it next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Senate Republicans have blocked a bill to investigate the January 6th insurrection on Capitol Hill. The legislation failed a procedural vote. The final tally was 54 to 35. That is six votes short of what was needed to advance the bill. And on the news with Shepard Smith, what happens next and what the consequences are for those who voted for and against the investigation. A judge has appointed a special master to protect attorney-client privilege. During the review of materials seized from Rudy Giuliani, the judge also rejected arguments that the seizure should not have been allowed, as well as requests from Giuliani's lawyers for prosecutors to divulge information on how they obtained search warrants. And a long-delayed infrastructure project has gotten a key federal environmental approval. Proponents say that 
The $11 billion tunnel under the Hudson River between New York and New Jersey would speed up train travel up and down the eastern seaboard. The existing tunnel is 110 years old and still suffers, Scott, from damage sustained during Superstorm Sandy. You're now up to date. I'll send it back to you, Scott. Okay, Rahel. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. The investment committee making some moves. Let's go through some of them. Jason Snipe bought more. I mentioned some of the other moves earlier, but you bought MGM Resorts. I did, Scott. So clearly, MGM has been a rocket ship. You know, year to date, it's up about 36%. Um, and for us, you know, 50% of their business is, is, comes from casino operations. You know, I think Nevada's Vegas is opening up next week. You know, I, I do think the rest of their business comes from food, food, beverage, hotels, and the entertainment venues. And I think there's a leg higher with some of the conference and trade shows coming back towards the end of this year. So I think there's an opportunity for us to grab a position here. Okay, interesting there. Uh, Stephanie Link, you bought more Anaplan. <sighs> yes, it was annoying. It was down 12% yesterday after they beat and raised. First quarter uh, billings were up 32%. The street was looking for 28%, but the whisper numbers were higher than that. So the stock sold off. If you look at the underlying fundamentals, very strong. Current bookings up 40% year over year. Total bookings up 52% year over year. Total customer count up 20%, up six percentage points sequentially. And net retention up 4% sequentially at 118%. So fundamentals are just fine. The stock is down 28% on the year. So I averaged down and I like this story for the long term. Okay. Meme stocks. Dr. J. Meme stock mania is back in a big way. One week returns. AMC, 159%. GameStop, 39%. Cost, 50%. Space, 55%. Beyond Meat, 37 mm-hmm. And you're involved in yep. more of these than I thought. Are you, <laughs> yeah, what's, well, what's the Scott. story here, Doc? Well, um, in in this case, it's both the combination of the heat seeker algorithm, which looks at that unusual option buying um, and in AMC and space, you know, Virgin Galactic with that successful launch uh, over New Mexico last week of into suborbital space, um, as well as Beyond Meat. And you could even throw a couple other stocks in there. What Um, the hell? Sure. Throw Roblox in there because uh, that's a Kathy Wood stock, of course. She's not in most of those others except for perhaps space. She's, uh, but this is a sector, Scott, that really reacts, as you know, far too much about Reddit. Um, when you see these moving on Reddit, when you see the apes, as they call themselves, all heading in one direction on Reddit, that's at least as strong as that heat seeker algorithm. And in many cases, the heat seeker sort of reflects all those movements of these traders because they're doing a leverage trade. Um, they're getting in there because their accounts, some of them are huge, but most of them are modest sized accounts. So instead of being able to buy uh, 10,000 shares of stock like the institutions we follow, they're buying 100 option contracts that simulate 100 or rather a 10,000 share position, Scott. But the returns, like you've said, 159% for AMC. But you look at the option returns, oh my gosh, 1,800%. I mean, I can show you just one of them from uh, the May 18 call, Scott, went from uh, $1.25 to over $20. I mean, these are crazy moves in these stocks. Beyond Meat, same sort of thing. Beyond... uh, 
the 11th of June expiration 150 calls. They were buying them when the stock was 139. They've already tripled their money, 300% return in a week. So when that uh, army of apes lines up from Reddit and they all say, ape strong, and they all start going in one direction, um, it's just going to lift. And obviously, we know it doesn't always end well, well, but it certainly is great for the ride, and you want to be surfing that wave. You were in Galactic, you were in AMC, you mm-hmm. own Beyond Meat calls now, and you bought more Roblox yep. calls, just so you know, uh, we're fully transparent here about what you're actually doing mm-hmm. as you're talking about what you're seeing. Yes, sir. Um, and Roblox was last Friday. Um, And it was an $83 stock at that time, popped into the 94s, I think, this week. That's a nice, again, $11 return. But the options were over 300% in that one as well, Scott. So when these folks, you know, if you have a $20,000 account and you're on Reddit, you know, most of the trading session, um, you can buy a lot of options for 20 grand. But they can, you know, disappear quickly if you're wrong. So far, these folks have been very right about what they've been focused on. Josh Brown, what's your take on, on this, the fact that we're, we're here you know, talking about this in the, in the manner in which we are yet again? Well, I think what John is pointing out is correct, which is that if that's your business, day trading or um, being involved in swing trades that you expect to last three days, five days, there is no other game in town like this game. These are the stocks making the biggest moves and a lot of this stuff is being telegraphed in advance on these boards like Reddit. So it's, it actually doesn't even seem like that hard a game to play. The hard part seems to be just not being the last ape in, I guess. Um, but bigger picture, one thing I want to say is I, I find the term meme stocks to be somewhat disrespectful. Um, GameStop has 17,000 full and part-time employees. Do we think these people wake up every day and say, I'm going to go work at my meme company? Uh, Hertz has 24,000 employees. AMC has 1,000 theaters. In a normal year, they see 250 million Americans attending a show at one of those theaters. They have 39,000 employees. I don't think that these are meme companies. They're real companies. And actually, in the case of Hertz and AMC, we come on here five days a week and talk about reopening plays. Can you think of two more obvious reopening situations than movie theaters and rental cars? It would be hard to come up with them. Well, so there's actually, there's actually some rhyme and reason behind why people are all of a sudden interested in these stocks in the big burst in which they are. So I don't like the term meme stocks. I've used it before. I'm going to stop. And I think while there's a lot of silliness and, and, and rampant option speculation in these stocks, I also think that there are ardent fans of these companies and real investors who want to be in them. And you could be on Reddit and be a serious investor. The two things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Sure, but, but there has been a fair amount, you would admit, of speculation in, in those names. 100%. Trumping probably the fundamental investors who have been there along well, we'll for the ride, too. Wait, I'm glad you... S- I'm glad you said that. We'll see if they trump the fundamentals. Uh, because I got to tell you, when I look at um, the, the way Adam Aaron has carried himself throughout this, that's the CEO of, uh, of AMC. Uh, Adam Aaron embraced the sudden enthusiasm for AMC back in February and March, and he used it to save his company. 
Don't forget, he had spent a right. year bickering with creditors and hedge funds and, and people who thought it was better dead than alive and people who would, who would fire half of his employees. He fought these people for more money, better terms on credit, more money, better terms, over and over again. One day, the stock price allowed him to go back to these people and said, you know what? I don't care what you, you have to say. Our business is fine. We're equity financed again. So there are real life outcomes stemming from this speculation that we're all mocking that are actually good outcomes for these businesses. Hertz is another example. So uh, I think we owe the investors in these companies that have made thousands of percent on their money a little bit more respect than maybe we're giving them in the financial media. Okay, I'm glad you made the point that you did. Let's uh, take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about more problems for Boeing. And GE is down today, but shares are near three-year highs. The committee taking their positions on those two stocks. Stephanie Link owns them both. She weighs in next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're watching shares of Boeing today. There it is, uh, down 1.5%, halting deliveries of the 787 Dreamliner. The FAA says Boeing needs to show the issues are solved. Stephanie Link, you own it, as does, as does farmer Jim Labenthal. By the way, yesterday on the show said the stock was going to 300. He couldn't be here today because he's at his son's graduation. Congratulations to uh, the younger farmer. Um, but he says no big deal, no big whoop. Stock wants to climb back. Sentiment's good. You feel the same? I do. I think it's a non-event for the stock. It's not a good headline, of course, but I really only care about the 737 MAX and production levels and schedules. And they're actually increasing production for 2022 in the 737 MAX already. The Airbus news yesterday was really positive for Boeing because you're going to have 450 other planes, 737 MAXs, in addition to what they have out there by 2024. So the free cash flow story is really remarkable. They could see a $16 billion swing from, from losses right now to $16 billion in free cash flow over the coming years. And that's what the stock trades on. Are you preparing a I told you so on GE or, or how are you going to crow about this one? Well, <laughs> it is still down from $31 a share 
in 2016. They have a long way to go. I didn't I know. own it then, but um, I, I think, look, the restructuring story is on track and they're focusing on aviation and healthcare. Those are the two things that they do really, really well. And this too is a free cash flow story. The Airbus news is very good for them. They're one out of two engine suppliers for the A320. So free cash flow could be better than $4 billion this year or into next year. So I'm looking forward to that. Do you have any idea what your average cost is off the top of your head? Sorry for putting you on the spot. Just curious. 861. No wonder why you, you can say I told you so. It's okay. <laughs> All right, up next, John's latest no, trades. <laughs> John's unusual activities coming up next. Dr. J, unusual, what do you have? Uh, well, we've got a steel stock that's up 91% this year, Scott, with a lot more in the tank. At least that's the way this particular trade believes, uh, because somebody stepped in uh, and bought the October 110 calls with Nucor trading at 101. So they're looking for nine more dollars of upside between now and October, which is relatively uh, predictable and somewhat pedestrian. But I think they'll actually do much better than that. Any quick pops in here, Scott, will give you a fast reward on this trade. I'm in the trade. I'll probably be in it about three months. Second one is next week expiration plug. And that's one of those meme stocks as well, because people love to shoot against plug. Um, and this one, of course, has a big short interest usually. Um, so next week expiration, they're buying the uh, uh, 4th of June 35 strike calls. That's what the stock under 32. So they think that short pop is coming. They're going to be able to take it and get out before the uh, end of next week. So I'll probably be in this trade about four days, Scott. Okay, Doc, thank you very much for that. Ask Halftime is next. Send thank your questions you. in by video, and we'll play them on the air. You can email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. We'll be right back. All right, let's do it. First up, Jason Snipe, a video question for you. Hi, guys. This is Mike in Florida. I'm wondering what you guys think about Facebook. I can't see any reason why inflation would hurt Facebook. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the question. The sniper, what do you think? Great. Great question, Mike. Thanks for that. Uh, so what I will say about Facebook, 93% EPS growth, you know, 48% revenue growth in the last quarter. So it was a really strong print, you know, maybe some potential headwinds, you know, coming down the pike, uh, you know, might be comps, you know, and I think comps are tough for a lot of industries. So for me, I think it's a hold and continue to potentially buy on weakness. All right. Thank you, Josh Brown. Let's watch. And I have a question to Josh, uh, what I want to know that how to decide to get out of the stock. You know, you have been in the stock for some time, you made some profit, but you always feel that there may be some more profit to come. What will be the, your advice about exit strategy? Have a good day. All right, thanks for the question. Josh, what do you think? <clears throat> I wish there were, were a formula. I would I would share it and that everyone would have it and uh, problem solved. But the reality is, I think you answer this question by asking another one, which is why did I buy in the first place? 
The majority of my portfolio and my clients' portfolios are in funds and ETFs that we're going to hold forever, hopefully, and rebalance. But on the stock side, things change at companies, and sometimes you do have to sell. Um, but I think you have to know going in, is it an investment or is it a trade? Most of the stocks that you hear me talk about owning, I'm hoping to own them forever. I very rarely get into something and say, I'm going to be in this for two weeks. Um, so I think once you've decided it's an investment, then the answer is probably not when do I sell, but when do I get a chance to buy more at better prices? A trade is different. You really should know your exits when you get into something and you know it's short term. You say, I'm wrong at this price. This is where I'll get out to the downside. Or this is where I think the stock should go. And then when it gets there, if nothing else has changed, honor that sell discipline and pull the trigger. So I think investing and trading are very different. You have to decide what you want to be. It's hard to do both. Okay. Thank you for that. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades next. Okay, one more item to get to. Josh Brown, you bought a bunch of Ether. Interesting. Tell me. I did. When I, when I saw, I've been in Ether and Bitcoin since 2017. Um, but when I saw both get cut in half last week, I really wasn't excited about the opportunity in Bitcoin, which I view as just like another version of gold. I got really excited at the opportunity to buy more Ether, which I think I, I just didn't own enough of. Um, I view Bitcoin as gold, but I view ETH as Amazon Web Services. That's like the best analog I can come up with. I don't have more time to talk about it now, but I would recommend everybody go to Packy McCormick's Substack uh, blog and read his post called Own the Internet. What it you, is the best explanation to, uh, for Ether that you'll find out there. What, what do you view Dogecoin as? I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't have I don't have a, I don't have a good analog for that one. <laughs> I, I figure. All right, Stephanie, Stephanie Leak, what's your final trade? Yeah, quick and dirty uh, and a plan. I'm doubling down. Okay, Jason Snipe. CRM. Ah, Salesforce on the back of uh, earnings there. Dr. J. Three billion dollar cannabis play Kronos bought it during the show, Scott. Okay, um, I do ahead of the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, just want to take a moment to salute all of those who have served and died for this great country of ours. We always do our Veterans Day show. We always think about you. You know that and from all of us here at the halftime report. We hope you have a good and thoughtful weekend. See the markets now. The Dow, uh, NASDAQ, S&P are all in the green. We will see you uh, on the other side of the long weekend back here. See if we can actually get something going in the month of June, get stocks moving back again after hanging in there pretty much for the month of May. That's going to be the story. No sell in May go away. Not that far away from all-time highs as well. That does it for us. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1 Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.